without further ado, I get to invite Israel Whitman up because he's going to share with us. Come on. Israel is our high school youth pastor. He's a man of integrity, great wisdom beyond his age, and uh, excited to hear from him this morning. Thank you, Jono. You guys saw he lowered the stand for me. Did you see that? (laughs) It's okay. It it was needed. It was needed. Um, Well, yeah, like Jono said, I I get the privilege of getting to spend time with young people in our environment, and um, it's so uh, helpful for me to get to be with people who are experiencing faith in, in new ways and in, in early seasons in their life, and it encourages me, but um, it's also just get an honor to get to be with them. Um, so glad to get to share with you a little bit this morning. Um, here's a little bit of where we've been and um, what I want to focus on today. Um, we started out the year uh, with Guile just asking the question, what do I want? What kind of life do I want? And specifically with that, we have realized that the life that I want can only really be found in the person of Jesus, right? That Jesus and his life is the life I want. We could even use the language of his kingdom. The way that God's kingdom functions, the reality of God's kingdom is the kind of life that I want. And so that's just what we're looking at. Jesus' life, he demonstrates God's kingdom, which is the life I most crave and ache for. Um, and in that, we're exploring this through the Gospel of Mark. We're uh, just going through selected texts and just exploring if Jesus' life is the life that I want, how can I pattern my life around those things that he did? And so today, uh, we're going to specifically look at um, this passage in Mark chapter 1, verses 29 to 39. This is right off the heels of what uh, we taught on last week. Uh, so I'm just going to read this for us and pray, and, and then we'll get going. Mark 1, 29 to 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Let me, let me pray for us. Jesus, more than any uh, words or knowledge, we want you would you reveal yourself to us today as you already have, you're already in our midst. We want you, we want what you want for us. Would you teach us to be like you? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this morning, my heart in uh, this, this passage and just what I want to um, share that I feel like the Lord's placed on my heart from what we're talking about here is um, there is an invitation and freedom that comes for us in going to places to be with the Lord 
and hearing what he has for us. I want to zoom in on two things specifically with this passage. So again, we see Jesus, he's continuing his work in this previous passage of doing the ministry work of the kingdom, healing the sick, specifically here, Peter's mother-in-law, or Simon's mother-in-law, and uh, delivering those who are demonized, preaching the kingdom, so much so that it seems as though the whole town shows up at the door and wants in on the action. But while it was still dark, he goes to a place where he was alone. Um, some scholars have even noted this could be a really familiar place of Jesus, a place he might have even spent time with disciples uh, before. And then pauses to pray, but something happens in here where he doesn't just return to the same activity in the same place he was at. Something changes. He doesn't stay where he was. He goes somewhere else. He pivots from his specific location, gets docked into his mission again, and goes to the next place. So we'll zoom in on that just a little bit in a second. But first, I just want to talk about these uh, moments and these uh, priorities that we have for decision-making, for pauses. Um, some of you guys remember, uh, this is about eight years ago this week. Broncos fans in the room, where are you guys at? Man, these were better times, weren't they? <laughs> this was... Uh, yeah, that's right. So this is Peyton Manning's second Super Bowl win, um, won it with the Denver Broncos, and this was also his last game. Um, he retired, I think, about a month later. And I didn't grow up watching a ton of uh, football, at least this version of football. I watched the football from across the pond a little bit more. But um, around this time, I started keeping up with the game a little bit more. I'd maybe seen only two or three Super Bowls at this point in time. And I noticed something that I've noticed with other athletes and other people making big life decisions. And I first noticed it with, with Peyton that night. He was asked multiple times um, after the game uh, and, and then when they were celebrating and presenting the trophy, Peyton, is this going to be your last game? Are you going to retire? Um, and I, I've noticed this pattern with other players since. They are aware enough that I probably shouldn't make this decision in the moment. So his answer was something along the lines of, you know, I'm going to celebrate this win, celebrate it with my team and my family. I think he mentioned Budweiser a couple times. <laughs> and I'm going to make a decision a little bit later when some of the emotion settles down. And I think, actually, in many ways, um, this uh, value for pause is something that I think, uh, to a great extent, our culture gets. They, they get that there's a need to pause and to uh, unhurry. I, I think, you know, in the church over the last several years, we've had a lot of voices um, saying, oh, man, we are too busy. We're too hurried. We're too frenzied, right? And I think it's good. What's interesting is I think our culture is catching up to this as well. I think they're realizing, oh man, this is insane. We need ways of slowing down, of paying attention to what's going on inside of us, right? I mean, how many meditation apps are there now or things to help us get to sleep? So our culture, I think, is catching up to this. But that being said, I think what's interesting to also see is how our culture still feels really hurried and busy after they return from their pauses and decisions. Uh, we get to spend a lot of time with youth, and there's, there's so much anxiety in the air at this time in history. There's, there's fear and uncertainty, and we could probably look at a lot of reasons why, but I think it's really interesting to note that um, although we might create space for pausing, I think there's a, a deeper thing that can happen beyond just a pause and a stillness. There's something else that the Lord has for us. So 
with this, I find a lot of comfort and peace in the way that Jesus did this. We see someone in Jesus who makes space to pause and to be with the Father. But we also see clarity and peace in following the direction he gets next. And I I think both are important. It would be a shame to, to pause and to not gain what God has for us on the other side. And so I just think the Lord this morning wants to bring us some of that, wants to bring some, some uh, relief and peace in these moments with him and the decisions we make for our lives. So in Mark chapter 1, in all of this, um, you know, happening with Jesus where he gets away, he withdraws for, for prayer, he does this pretty often. We see throughout the gospel of Mark and others, um, we see he does it sometimes with his disciples as well. He'll invite them in. Pauses are something that we can pattern our life after in Jesus, but it's not just a pause. Um, again, we'll note he got away. But also, I just want to note that he changes direction a little bit here. He gets clear with his mission. It could be thought of as a good strategy for Jesus, or maybe others would have even told him something like this of, Man, we're having a lot of success here. We're having a lot of breakthrough. People are showing up to the door to be healed, to be delivered, to hear what you have to teach. Something happens in this moment where the Lord says, all right, we're going to go somewhere else. We're not going to do the thing that maybe was going to be considered the best decision in in those eyes, but the decision that he's inviting him into. And I I think a helpful word for this is he he doesn't just pause, he pivots. He changes direction right? This isn't like uh, Peyton Manning riding off into the sunset or Mahomes saying, you know, I'm going to take a quick break and then win another Super Bowl, right? This is more like MJ after three rings deciding to retire, right? This is saying, oh, okay, I'm going to completely change what I'm doing here, right? I'm not saying Jesus is like MJ, but you get what I'm saying. So I'm just going to tell a few stories here um, along the lines of pauses and pivots, and this rhythm the Lord invites us into. Uh, this is a, a, a story I've, I've heard circulated around 24-7 space. Is that there's this painting in the National Gallery in London. Pete, Pete Gregg often shares this story of a uh, 16th century artist, Filipino Lippi. And uh, in this painting, you'll see the two saints uh, kneeling in front of baby Jesus sitting in uh, Mary's lap. And he's a well-known artist, uh, he's a well-known painter, but a lot of people considered this to be one of his lesser works. Uh, I'm not a critic, this isn't my perspective, but this is what's been passed down, that, you know, some of the mountains um, in behind look like they're about to topple out of the frame, and the perspective's a bit strange, and so it was just considered more of an odd uh, perspective in, in in the painting. And so, A few centuries later, an an art critic comes to uh, just look at it, and while he's in the art gallery, he has a bit of an epiphany, which was that, oh man, I I think maybe this painting is supposed to be used in other places other than just an art gallery. I think this might be more of an altarpiece, and his reasoning was, if you were to kneel down, and and he did so in the art gallery, very self-consciously, because other people were probably watching him, the whole perspective changes of the painting. On his knees, he's seeing things differently. He's not just seeing the mountains from that angle, but from up above, and he's getting to look at Jesus alongside these other two saints. 
And I think that is, in large part, the point of prayer. It changes our perspective. I've heard it also said this way, I think also maybe in some 24-7 spaces, that um, there, there's, there's things that happen in our lives. There's busyness, there's hurry, there's good things even. And there's necessary responses to those things. But we might have different responses if we pray. There has to be a place between our stimulus, the things happening, and our responses where we pray, where we get the perspective we need. And so prayer may seem obvious for a lot of reasons, intimacy with the Father, namely, but another is the perspective we gain to do what's next. There's an invitation in the heart of God the Father to be driven not just by what we value and think is important, but what the Father says he's inviting us into. Maybe good things, but maybe different things. Uh, another story here is, uh, how many of you guys, anyone in the room on the 2021 South Africa pivot team? Yeah. I see Evan, Mariah, Josiah. So you guys remember this story. Uh, I uh, asked Vic and Lori if I could share this. Um, in our own community, uh, you know, Vic and Lori frequently take out uh, students and teams other parts of the world. And so in 2021, um, they were planning a trip to South Africa and uh, they have regular prayer meetings leading up to their uh, times to go and, and, and do mission work in other parts of the world. And so um, in their prayer meeting, one of the parents leading up to the trip um, just had this sense or this prophetic word of, of pivot. I just sense that God's going to have you guys pivot, do some things that maybe you didn't expect. And sure enough, they got one day into the trip. I think they had driven down to, to Dallas, you know, where they were going to get their international flight out of the country. And they found out that they had a chance of maybe getting into the country of South Africa, I think, but because of COVID restrictions, they likely would not have been able to get back. And so obviously that's disorienting for anyone who's been on missions, anyone who's been planning a trip, right? But they knew, oh, the Lord told us we're going to have to pivot didn't necessarily make it easier, but they had clarity and direction because they had created space to pause and hear what the Lord had going on, right? And so I think the team, they ended up calling it the pivot team, right? They ended up going to, to, to New York, I think maybe a couple other places, right? And got to do a, a, a number of wonderful uh, things with missions. But one of the beautiful things I saw, there, there's a couple uh, young men in, in our youth group that, that came away from that trip with this deep heart for the homeless, even doing school and study work around it. And I was like, man, this would not have happened if we hadn't paid attention to what Jesus was doing. The focus and the energy of one young man as it relates to serving the homeless and the poor changed because we were able to pay attention to the direction that the Lord was leading us into. Maybe another way to think about this priority to be present and, and pause, but also to pivot is maybe if we were to contrast, there's a, there's a worship leader I've listened to some. He, he, he's talked about these two stories from the life of Jesus, right? So we have Jesus in the boat. These are both later on, and um, uh, they're in the different Gospels, so you can see them in these different ones. Um, and, and we know these stories. In the boat, a wild storm uh, came up as Jesus and the disciples were moving from one place to another. And we know the story, right? Jesus uh, was sleeping underneath and the disciples came to wake him because there was a storm going on. And, and he says, you know what? I, I want to uh, invite you into trusting me, right? You have little faith, right? But he was asleep during the storm. And if we contrast that with other times, you know, maybe in the garden, uh, Gethsemane, the night before Jesus is about to go and suffer and die, he's inviting his disciples to pray and they're sleeping. 
And Jesus wakes them up and says, hey, why are you sleeping? Can you not continue on with me for just a little bit? And, and I think it's an interesting question to ask. I, my, my guess is Jesus doesn't have anything against sleep. He's very much for it, it seems. But maybe a way for us to think about it is, can we be awake when Jesus is awake? Can we be asleep when Jesus is asleep? Can we be awake to the things that Jesus is awake to and asleep to the things that Jesus is asleep to? And as we're talking about being able to pause and recognize what God is doing and shift into the things that he has for us, I think there may even be something in the back of our minds like, man, okay, this is a good challenge, but this is really hard. It's hard to hear God's voice in a day-to-day basis. It's hard to hear what he has for me and my family or the groups I'm a part of or the ministries I'm a part of. And it feels burdensome. But I actually want to also say this, that there's something about doing exactly what God invites us to do that's not just going to be better for us. I actually think it's going to be less burdensome than the other things we might come up with. There may be any number of good things for us, things that um, are, are good for our lives that we might find important personally or the people around us or our culture finds important, but they may not be what Jesus is doing. This is John 15 kind of thinking, right? To be docked into the vine, to be a part of what God is doing and not just the things that I find important because doing good things is probably not going to bear the same kind of fruit that Jesus might be doing. Doing good things that Jesus isn't doing won't bear the same kind of fruit. And just in the same, the things that Jesus is doing will be less burdensome and more fruitful. This is the yoke of Jesus. This is the yoke that's easy and light where I don't have to. I don't have to suffer under the burden and the pressure of getting all that I want. The burden of having to get everything I want, that is burdensome. That is heavy. I have to orchestrate my life in such a way that I get what I want. I don't have to do that. Jesus has something for me that's better and it's going to be less burdensome. There may still be a burden. It's a light one but it's better. I might have good priorities, but what God's doing is going to bear more fruit. So what is he doing? For, for myself, I'll, I'll just confess, I, I don't think I'm terribly great at this just yet. I feel like God's been really patient with me and my current season of life and upcoming seasons of life to make me more aware of this wonderful people around me that have been able to cast vision for this kind of thing. I remember... Um, this becoming a real lifeline for us in Fusion a number of years ago. Jonathan Free, Rebecca Way, and I had frequent uh, meetings, and, and, and we were able to go, you know what? There's so many things we could do as a youth group, and, and maybe, maybe we've been a part of so many other ministries that have done certain things, and it's great, and it's good, and there's good ideas. There's wonderful things that we can do, but man, this feels awfully burdensome, you know what's going to feel better? What Jesus, what are you doing? What are you saying? And it might even be good things that other people want us to do that we might have to say, you know what? This just doesn't feel on mission with what's happening. Can we do the things that Jesus is doing? And those things will bring more life to us. And so in uh, Mark 1, again, we see... He could have easily decided to monopolize on his ministry success, to spend more time there, 
but he chose to do what his father was doing. This line uh, is, is cool. I was able to read a little bit from one commentator that it seems as though Jesus in this moment, not that he maybe lost his way in any way, but in this moment of pausing, he seems to get his mission back. It's his mission statement. This is why I have come. When we get into these spaces, we are able to be led by the Father. We get back to our mission. Critical for us as we're following him. And so as we look to you, pause and pivot, prioritize the things Jesus is doing, the Father's inviting us to do. I just want to ask how. And I, and I think some of how, I'll say this right now and might come back to it in just a second, is I think we've already been doing this this morning. We talked about uh, getting on our knees. As we were getting on our knees before the Father, perspective changes, right? Even more than that, as we were uh, on our knees this morning, I even saw uh, some of us laying down. Just got this picture of Jesus in the same way he was in the boat inviting us to sleep, inviting us to rest. It, It feels so counterintuitive when we have big decisions or things that need to be decided about in our lives to step back. But we have to because we don't have the perspective we need just by ourselves. We have to lean into rest. The easy yoke and the good burdens, the the things that he is inviting us to do won't come from continuing on in, in the frenzied state of getting things done. We have to step back. And so I think what we even did this morning is our, is our entryway and our practice into this is can we, can we go to sleep? Can we kneel and let God tell us? And when we go to sleep, he's going to invite us to wake up and he's going to say, come on, let's go. We're going to do this. But it might be different than what we expected. And so for me, I'll I'll just um, point these things out. I think I did this in previous weeks where if we're wanting to model our lives after Jesus, if we're wanting to look at his life and catch his vision for our lives, not just our own, what did he do? So again, gets away alone in a solitary place. Uh, And then he senses direction, changes direction, docked into his mission. So we see times and places where this happens. We see a general uh, direction that God leads him into and continued relationship and intimacy with the Father. So what can this look like for us? I'm just going to talk around a couple of these things and create some invitation. Um, For me, uh, it can be helpful to think through setting aside time and place, but I think a lot of us in the room might realize that as great of an ideal as this is, it can become legalistic pretty quickly, right? Setting aside that quiet time is important because we have to create space, but sometimes we have to be mindful that this is happening in the context of my ongoing relationship with the Father. So what are the times and the places? And so I I have to kind of... uh, Make sure that I'm doing this intentionally, but I'm also just becoming aware of the little invitations that are coming along the way, right? Um, I, I love the concept, and maybe this is just me confessing my, my uh, humanness. I love the concept of waking up early in the morning 
it doesn't always feel practical to my life, especially, you know, be, being with youth and a lot of my evenings being occupied. I'm like, man, I don't think this is exactly what it's supposed to be for me right now. Parents in the room, you probably know that better than me. And so can we live somewhere between the intentional and just the awareness of the invitations God is making? Time and place, but also maybe space, margin in my life for me to be interrupted. So a couple examples, maybe of both for me, have been um, frequently setting aside larger blocks of time in my schedule every month or several months to get away. Maybe that feels more unrealistic for you and it's going to look like something else. But for me to be able to step away rhythmically and assess, all right, God, what's next? What are you doing? Some of us may be in the habit of doing this. We as a staff do this pretty frequently just to get clear with the reality that God wants to spend time with us and he has specific invitations for us. So maybe started the new year, for example, I did this right beforehand. And even what I wanted that time to look like totally changed as the Lord often does with us. Spent time in different ways than I anticipated. God focused less on, I want you to do this and this and this. And he gave me more, more uh, specific words for me of, I actually want you to pay, att- pay attention this year to where you make mistakes. And I want to reveal myself in that place. Right? But this happens for all of us. It can happen for all of us. Can we set aside some intentional time? Yesterday, maybe this is a little less intentional, maybe more on the aware side. I I was prepping for this and um, very analytical. So when I'm prepping for these kind of things, my brain can get going and I can get kind of lost in some of it. And just felt enough of a whisper of the father saying, hey, can we go on a walk real quick? Went out for a walk and I got really clear of Jesus communicating what he wanted to this morning, right? Can we be interruptible, but also intentional? And another thing uh, on, on the layer of maybe being aware, this is, uh, we're using kingdom language as we talk about this, God and his kingdom. I, another thing that just stuck out to me um, lately is, uh, I mentioned earlier, I watched some sports, right? So it's good. It's good stuff. But I've noticed um, something paralleled to that in terms of my lived experience. When I'm watching a game, and this can happen when it's my team or it's, you know, two teams I don't really care about. Somewhere in there, I'm going to gain some investment over one team or the other, right? Anyone ever done that? Just turn on a random game, and all of a sudden, you find yourself rooting for this team, and you have no idea why. Rooting for the underdog or, you know, whatever. And it's been really sneaky. Um, I've found if I turn on the news, the same kind of things can happen. I, I, and getting up to date on current events or political landscape or whatever, and I, I'm not up to date on all those things all the time, but I find I start having this like uh, uh, unconscious investment in certain things and I have to go, wait a second, I could easily get really invested in a certain thing or a certain person and not create the room to pause and recognize what's going on inside of me and let Jesus speak on what's happening. I think it's critical for us in these days as Christians in the world to be able to go, all right, there's investment spiking in some area, and rightly so because there's discouraging news, there's concerning news to go, Jesus, what is your heart for this right now? And actually, what is your heart for me in engaging in this? Can we be aware of what Jesus is inviting us into, even in what we care about? And so I just want to throw out just a summary of some different things for us to maybe consider. Maybe you'd, you'd, uh, you'd benefit from uh, more time doing discernment prayer with other people. 
Maybe this is a way for you to practice pausing and pivoting like Jesus. We've been uh, familiar with uh, discerning God's will together by Ruth Haley Barton. So if that would be helpful for you, come and talk to us. Maybe you need to set aside some fresh times, rhythmic times in your day to pause and yield. Maybe in the middle of the day, make sure you stay on mission like Jesus. Maybe you need some retreating habits rhythmically, or maybe you just need to pay attention to the little invitations that are popping up during your life when you get anxious, when you get afraid to say, all right, Jesus, what's your heart for me right now? And I want to throw this encouragement uh, in here as well. I wasn't in the room uh, last Sunday. I was with our fifth and sixth graders. Um, but I think Seth Kittinger came up and shared a little bit of a word at the end. Was that? Watch the right week. Okay, good. Um, just about, you know, when we're in seasons of waiting or we're in moments where um, maybe we're not hearing from the Lord. We don't know exactly what's happening. That God will find a way to tell us what he needs to when we need to know it. He is more than capable of getting our attention. If he's not going to get your attention, then maybe he'll use someone else to get your attention. And so if there's any fear as we're talking about this of like, oh man, I don't know if I hear God's voice like that, or I don't know if I feel that docked into um, what Jesus is doing. It just doesn't work like that for me. I don't want you to discount yourself. Jesus will speak and he wants to, but it's on him. He's got his voice. He can use it. Uh, So to close, I I just want to read one final little, uh, not really a story. This is a um, a letter from uh, Roland Baker. This has been a helpful uh, thing for us to revisit in fusion between Jono and I over the years of, can we make sure in all our ministry endeavors and all the things that are important to make sure we maintain relationship with the Father as it relates to being in the kingdom? And so he, he has this letter, I, I don't even know exactly who he wrote it to, but wrote this letter about uh, 10 years ago um, concerning some of the things happening in Mozambique where him and his wife Heidi are ministering. Over the years, he's saying, we keep learning what Jesus is interested in and lose interest in what we used to pursue. We learn that unless Jesus is interested in what we are pursuing, the going gets tougher than we can bear. But there is a secret place, a hiding place, a lower place, a holy place that exceeds our dreams. It's not found in anything external and impersonal. It's not found in simply an activity, sacrifice, and dedication. It's not found in goals, projects, productions, and progress. It's not found in finances and growth. It may be missed entirely when even preaching, teaching, training, and discipling. It may be forgotten completely when evangelizing and praying for the sick. The greatest and most powerful gifts don't necessarily contain it. Even the ministry of the poor may become an impersonal effort that misses the great and most intensely motivating creation of God, that supreme display of his glory, relationship. When we get into relationship in our moments with Jesus, the perspective becomes clear, like looking at the painting when we kneel, like being asleep when Jesus is asleep and awake when Jesus is awake. And I, I just want to end with, with this. Uh, and we, just for the sake of practicing it, we don't get to see the fruit of what God even does in these moments until years later, right? But as we just practiced earlier, I, I just um, I want to invite us into just a momentary pause here where maybe um, we kneel as if we're looking at the face of Jesus, gaining perspective. 
Or maybe we lay down like we're going to sleep and just be ready if he says something. So can we do that right now? If you don't feel comfortable kneeling, obviously you can sit or, heck, I gave you permission to lay down so you can do that. And inviting you into sleep, into rest with him, he may just be saying, trust me. And, and for some of us, as we lay and as we kneel, he might invite us to pivot and wake up and do something. Let's just hang with him for a second. Yeah, the only thing I just feel the Lord whispering to us right now is just um, permission. We don't, we, don't have to, we don't have to do this. But he really wants us to. As much as you want it, he really wants to hang. And he's really open-handed with what it looks like. He just wants it. can have as much of him as we want. Yeah, thank you, Lord.
Can you feel the breath of heaven fall on your face? Can you feel his heart of love and his hand of grace? He's calling out to you, no more striving. He's calling out to you, rest in me. Can you feel the breath of heaven fall on your face? Can you feel his heart of love and hand of grace? He's calling out to you, no more striving. He's calling out to you, rest in me. going to invite us into is that song in the spirit being a benediction this pronouncement of God's good over us I've been noticing just this Thursday I was in a prayer meeting with just some friends we are just praying about some stuff and sharing some stuff and one of my friends what he shared was a pivot in his life that I felt like the Lord was like going yeah you too and it sounded pretty scary to me. Now, you might not think it's scary, but I thought it was scary. Um, had to do with my finances. Like, I don't want to pivot with this. But here's what I did. I waited two days before I talked to my wife about it because I wanted to mean it and prayed with a couple friends on Saturday. Maybe you need to do something like that. If there's a pivot that God wants to do from the pause. Pause is great, but if we don't do what Jesus says, it was kind of not for not, right? Sound good? Ken Weed came up. He said, God, this baptism the Holy Spirit said is awesome, but he's going to baptize us on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, all these different moments where he wants to empower us and give us the very authority to live our lives submitted to Jesus doing what he's doing. So didn't it feel good just to be with the Lord? Things make a little more sense in this space. Psalm 73, when I entered the house of God, then I understood. Lord, bring us into your presence. We commit, bring us into your presence tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. I'm, I'm so glad to be in your family. You guys are so cool. So hungry for the Lord. Let's love each other on the way out. If somebody's quiet, let them be quiet, okay? 
You want to play, play that awesome pad there that just makes us feel chill? Oh, yeah. We love you guys. Have a wonderful week.